Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women in business in comedy. My name's Katie and this is my mother, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. My mama said, Mama said, Hi, Mum. How are you? Hello, Katie. <laughs> how are you? you saying it like that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because we've been working quite hard, really. It's been quite a busy month yeah. or so, hasn't it? Um, so, season four, season four and a half, we yep. are going to do uh, interviews with some acts this fringe, but we're also going to do our normal uh, structure of chatting just the two of us just the is, two of us this is the so first lovely. one that we're going to do no it's um, not it's the second I'm sorry this, well this is the first <laughs> official episode the first episode was just us saying hello we're okay alive. okay and um, thank god yes still we're alive still alive <laughs> have I put you off? No, no. We were interviewed the other day and that's what he said. He said I kept sabotaging your sentences. No, yeah, I thought that was a perfect description. It's not that we complete each other's sentences, that we completely derail each other's <laughs> sentences right. and throw each other off. I wouldn't is, do a thing like that to my beautiful daughter. It's completely accurate. <laughs> um, no, what I wanted to talk about today was it's the 75th anniversary of The Fringe this it year. It is. And... The Fringe has changed in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways it's changed for the better, uh, and a lot of ways it's become more difficult for people to attend and take part in The Fringe. So I want to talk about the, both sides of that, about the good things that have changed at The Fringe, but also the kind of less good stuff that's happened, um, and how we're going to try and you know address it in the future and mm-hmm. keep it as, a, as the important, incredible festival that it is. But before we start on that, I wanted to just, sorry about that, car horn outside it's the 75th anniversary and you have been doing quite a lot of interviews and i imagine you'll be doing more reminiscing about the fringe of the past and i want to go into that a bit in this episode talking about how the fringe has changed but the other week you had a very nice interview with bill bailey we did i did you I weren't there <laughs> he's not my pal <laughs> he is your pal you saw him not as much as he is mine, mind you, because I've known him longer. Yes, you have. And he started his first shows with us at the mm-hmm. Guild of Balloon. And it, just by chance, luckily, he was doing one of his tour shows up in Edinburgh. And this is a TV show which is uh, celebrating. A, a film, isn't it? Yes, it's. I don't know. I think it's going to be a feature length film. That's that. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's about the 75 years of the fringe so uh there's a lot to go over and yeah. uh, bill and i were were picked to discuss comedy in the 90s which is you know great because that's when it's the heyday isn't it? well it's when it actually was very exciting mm-hmm. there was a lot of comedians around and a lot of them were making it it became the new rock and roll mm-hmm. in the late 80s early 90s yeah because there was young new uh, it wasn't all about satire and, and politics. Mm-hmm. By the beginning of the 90s, it really started blossoming into, you know, you could talk about anything. I mean, you always could, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, other people it got... kind of developed into its own art form. That is correct, Katie. Well, 
I'm so glad you're here because I can't, I just waffle and you say the right words. It did become an art form. And I mean, if you think about Sean Hughes, who won the Perry Award, which was now the Edinburgh Comedy Festival Award Mm -hmm. in 1990, I think it was, uh, he did a show called... Now, I was going to say it's one manly show, but it might be being called something completely different. So this different. is why we do research before the podcast? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I'll come back to you on that, Colin. <laughs> and I haven't got a phone to look it up anyway. But his show was taking place in a flat uh-huh. and it, was, it wasn't it was just gag yeah. Yeah. related. You know, there was obviously a lot of comedy in it but it's not like a stand-up comedy narrative yes and it and it was just brilliant and that got a lot of people thinking oh god the world's a roster we can we can just do good joke joke joke." yeah exactly exactly are you finishing my sentence well trying to (laughs) (laughs) but it's which is what the fringes kind of become known for in comedy is having a narrative arc and having a story as part i mean just think about phoebe waller bridge yeah who i mean well, actually, Sean got a television series out of that show, did and it? so did Phoebe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his show was, you know, it got six series oh um, on on Channel Four. It was great. Amazing. Amazing. It was so good. But what, before we go into that, I just well, not before we're already in that. What did you chat to Bill about? Oh, sorry. Is it not nice. Yeah, that interview doing it. Together? He actually, I think he probably said the right show. For Sean, because <laughs> 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 he's got a better recollection. Oh he's got a better what? He's got a better recollection than I have. Yes, recollection and memory <laughs> correct. The same thing. She's laughing at me. Um, but you know, these days were all a blur. Yeah, because <laughs> you were working like you weren't. You were. You were born in 1988. Around. You were tottering around. But I would Getting work the from from the beginning of the day right through till three, four in the morning, and then so by the, of the fringe. yeah, and you got quite bleary eyed and you know a bit. Yeah, you're still going off course. We'll get back to that when yes. we talk about fair working conditions. But, <laughs> but they the were moment, my own working what did, conditions. Yeah, what did you chat to Bill about? Because um, we talked like a really about nice interview. It was. It was lovely. We talked about everything. What I did was showed um, Bill his. Um, he he first did a show when he was in a double act called The Rubber Bishops, mm-hmm. and he. Um, who was that with? How do you mean? Who was it with? Who was the me? other Rubber Bishop? Um, Martin Stubbs. Oh, okay. Was the other Rubber Bishop and Sean Locke? Oh, there's so, three of them. No, <laughs> Sean Locke was doing his solo and. Bill was in a double act called The Rubber Bishops. Okay. So it was The Rubber Bishops and Sean Locke. That was the show. Oh, okay. In the debating hall. Not in the debating hall. (laughs) It was was in the main theatre. It was in the 90s on the Cowgate. It was in... It was in the main theatre in the Cowgate. Okay. Yeah, the... In Wilkie House. And it was a great show. And the thing that I reminded Bill about is that the both of them, Sean and Bill, had the same intonations in their jokes. In fact, their jokes were nearly the same. They were just Why they were like brothers. Like? I don't know, I think just because they were in each other's company so much. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was the yeah. way they talk. I mean, fantastic. And then they went on he split up from Martin um Bill did and he was going to go solo, but he first did a show with Sean at the Pleasance called Rock. Yeah. 
and that was a bit of a disaster. Oh, um, such a shame. I know, because as I, I said to him, you know, I couldn't imagine you both as a double act really? because they were both on the same par mm-hmm. as uh, comedy-wise. They couldn't. Yeah, they didn't like complement each other. They were just the same. They were the same. Yeah, yeah. So they there wasn't the fall guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, they were yeah. both as funny as each other. Yeah. Uh, but that show actually was a bit of a story behind mm-hmm. it. He was, and they tried to sell it to Channel Four, and they didn't. And they didn't. Anyway, Bill so and I just that didn't go well. That show. No, so he came back the next year, Bill did, and did Cosmic Jam, which was his first solo show at the Gilded Balloon. And that's the first time people had heard him do real... He had a piano and he did a lot of classical music and they didn't realise what an amazing musician musician he is. So he... Still. He still is. He's amazing yeah, well, show and such an intellect. Yeah, the show that was just at the Playhouse was incredible. I know it's really good. Just showing off how incredible he is at music. Still, I know. <laughs> and of course, because he won Strictly Come Dancing, he's got he's very fit and he yeah. can jump up and down and run around the stage like yeah, yeah. like a twenty year old. Yeah, it was great. But it must um, be nice for you to reminisce with Bill a bit because yes, because what we did was we talked about how comedy, stand up comedy, was in the eighties and nineties. Especially in the 80s, it was, you know, how comics in London could go, they could work in all these stand-up comedy venues and they could do three or four shows a night, Mm -hmm. which is what Bill did regularly. He was honestly the hardest working man in showbiz. He really always has been incredible. Um, But anybody could go and do that. But, you know, it was that. And and they would have a lot of variety acts in, Mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of them. So it it was more... Not just stand up, you yeah. know. Yeah, there was more. And then the stand ups that were going were quite satirical and a mm. um, bit more harder edged. Mm-hmm. And then that soft edge came in. The only thing that was sad from our point of view, women that is, was there weren't weren't enough of them. There weren't yeah. enough women in comedy. No. Um, and Joe Brand was uh, obviously amazing and she came in in the 80s late yeah. 80s and did yeah. shows with us and but she was fantastic pretty bloody tough to do it oh then. god she, yeah 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 and you were good pals with her absolutely she was she still is very very great yeah i'm she's, glad that she's getting kind of what the celebrity or what you know the, the attention that she deserves is a part of the you know extra slice stuff that she's doing on the yeah yeah now. yeah she's, she's still phenomenal and yeah she should be on the telly way more than she well what's what's nice for her is that she can pick and choose what mm. she does yeah exactly. you know which she's is great. is how it should be in yeah. later in life you know yeah and there were some great women that came along, but uh, it was still tough. And it was that was one of the things I really wanted to to try and support and yeah. um, push as hard I think as I can. A lot of people have been asking you about that, haven't they? About how comedy for women, female performers, how it's changed um, being in the comedy industry, and a lot of it took a long time to change. And now, thankfully, the entire industry is. If the environment has, means that women are so much more accept, accepted and can do their their job, you know, and not there's not even a question of it anymore. Whereas that took quite a while to come in for that the actual industry to change to allow women to be on a par with men. Well, no? yes, absolutely. It wasn't it wasn't considered women just if they wanted to do comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a tough call for them to get on stage, you know, yeah. because um, 
I mean, uh, Joe Brand was amazing at hecklers. Mm -hmm. She could just cut them off, you know. And that, you know, having girls coming off in tears Mm -hmm. is, you know, because they can't handle the, you know, you just have to put it into your head that I can do this, Mm -hmm. I can do this. Yeah, you have to be great. And what... Happened, I think, which was a bit hard, was that women that led Ladette, Ladette culture came along and it really made them harder than they needed to be, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it was that whole. Like, and that was a bit in the 90s. It was that year to being like a tomboy to be accepted. Mm. Mm. That they didn't like women getting up in sexy clothes or anything yeah, or, yeah. Um, you know. <sighs> But thankfully, that passed, and that, that yes. No, no. You think it's more that that change came from the kind of industry. It's not just about going on stage. It's about the attitudes. The, well, yeah, attitudes in the entire industry accepting women in their own right, and whether that's the bookers or the agents or like, the whole kind of environment around it needed to change in order for women to be able to thrive. And thankfully, that happened in say the noughties. Did it? Or was it before them? No, no, I, I, I think you're right, quite and right. And audience is part of that as well, I suppose. But I do think, like now, I mean, I I really like the way that you think about who you're booking. I always did as well, but I didn't think about it. Uh, I, I would book as far as who was funniest, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't think we have to have, you know, a black person, a lesbian, mm-hmm. and a, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, you... I didn't think like that. I just thought, what is? Yeah. However, what happened from through the eighties into the nineties was there was an awful lot of white male men mm-hmm. doing stand-up white comedy straight men. and straight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, many of them. So it was completely saturated with that, and that mm-hmm. kind of made everybody want to think, "Oh, come on now, mm-hmm. we have to." Well, I think the what what we do now is is make sure that our lineups are. Are representative of society, so yes. that and that could you know it's just about making sure that there's variety in it because if we have all straight white men, then it'll be incredibly boring for the audience member. So well, it would be if that's the whole point, though. It's it depends what the material booking, is. Um, we're gonna have a fight about this because I'm not booking people that aren't funny. I'm booking funny people. Yes. I know that. That's always number are we, one. Are we going to have a fight about <laughs> well, that? Well, you're saying that you booked funny people and I'm now booking for diversity and that's not how it works. No, no, you, they have to be funny as well. Obvs. Yeah. I know that. That was my, that was my very futuristic word there, obvs. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be young and yeah. down with it. Um, no, but you can get straight white male mm-hmm. who are funny in a different way. Well, yeah, variety of acts for sure. Not all just stand up yeah. men, but music, because and sketch, and all I think them. the first. But there's diversity in all types of ways, and I think we just have to be. Yeah, I, I think we're really judged by our lineups and how we book comedy shows. So I think we just. I I never I'm, thought that, but well, we absolutely are. That's how the industry has changed. If we're talking about change that it's absolutely seen because you advertise shows and if you have four white men on a poster people are going to be like well there's so many other acts in the in the in the industry why would you only book four four white men like it's just easy to book diverse lineups so why not do it you know what i mean yeah yeah and because there's an incredible comedians across the 
play landscape now and who are incredibly funny and I completely agree you need to have a diversity of styles as well which is really important I think that's if we're talking about what's changed in the French that's a really positive good thing that's changed I think that we can only do more to make the lineups as exciting and, and diverse as possible I'm excited about booking Late and Live this year because there's so many acts I haven't seen as well you stolen Late and Live from me. <laughs> I have not stolen Late and Live from you <laughs> You've taken it to make it your own. No, absolutely. So you should. Um, I'm. I wouldn't know where to start, but because I just speak to agents and see who they've got. And no, yeah, you want to try and uh, have people that we've seen before and make sure that we're confident in the lineup. The thing, though, I think what I, before we change the subject of diversity and inclusion as part of the fringe, I suppose, is what we're talking about. It's just that the the point about women. I don't think we really hammered home is about how incredible women are in the industry now and how they're finally yeah. if if not i mean they're absolutely on in line with men in the industry now but if not even better like surpassing men across the board working harder being writing more and like just i i feel overwhelmed with the amount of incredible women i could book and i don't necessarily feel like that about men maybe not men Overall, maybe just white men. <laughs> like, there's just so much variety. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a massive change that's happened, and it's a really positive one. But I suppose they were the ones that made it in the early days. So there, there still can be, you know, the the token white male. <laughs> well, I think they just have to work harder. Like, it's not a bad thing that they have to work harder sometimes. So, um, yeah, they're still incredible. Like, we're not men here, as we know that. Uh, and I think because the industry has become saturated with men, they just have to work harder to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's that's true in the whole industry. If they don't go out and work mm-hmm. and do as much live work as they can and yeah. keep writing. Yeah, you really have to keep working at your material. You can't just do the same club set for three years and expect to still get gigs, you know. But it's interesting what you said about Bill working in London, because I know a lot of, like... I don't know when, but over the past 10 years, it's changed a lot. People working in London, so people can are still doing three gigs a night, but they get paid so little for them that they can hardly get by. Whereas hopefully... Is that right? Yeah, because because London's so saturated with performers, they don't have to pay big bucks to get people. So And it's very different in Scotland. It's like, you know, we pay fair, fair rates for comedians and we're happy, you know, we want people to come up from down south, anywhere down south, and from Glasgow and around Scotland. So mm-hmm. it's not like in London, they just, I think they pay really unfairly because they've got access to so much talent, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess they used to, in the 90s, be able to make a career out of gigging three nights, three shows a night. Yeah, I mean, over a weekend, they could mm-hmm. make a full week's wages, yeah, couldn't yeah, they? Yeah. And it's not like that anymore, you're saying? No. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, some of the gigs are good, but not all of them. Yeah, sure. and that's the whole thing. They want to have good gigs. Yeah. So maybe some of them like coming outside London. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, I mean, that's just how the comedy industry has changed massively. It's, it's so saturated with performers. So getting by, I, I can imagine, is harder, and especially after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just co- concentrate on comedy. What I did want to ask about was... It might comedy might come into it though. Well, comedy will definitely come into it. Um, but good things that have changed as part of the fringe. Uh, one that I was going to bring up was health and safety. Because <laughs> I remember walking through the uh, Cowgate in the nineties when I was ten or something, and 
being dragged by your hand through the hips of people. And there was just, I just remember it being absolutely rammed in the Kage, in going up those stairs that had were so worn that they used to <laughs> see the paint lines on them anymore. And it was just absolutely jam-packed. And there's stories about that late in life with the studio theatre being above that when there was a band on, the dust would fall from the... When Doug Anthony All-Stars were jumping up and down upstairs, the bar would have dust. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All these guys are trying to pull pints and dust is falling oh into God, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I always say to you, I wish I was, was doing this in the 90s because so many policies and, and licenses and health and safety plans and... Fire risk assessments and all this stuff that we the have to... Fire, the fire people came around <laughs> all the time. It was and, always safe. And they, no, but I'm not saying it was safe as far as hundreds of people uh-huh. being around. But, you know, the, the regulations were there and we followed yeah, the regulations. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I was saying that you did anything illegal. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very popular, that's for sure, because it was the only late night venue that was had lots of comics on and all the comics went there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And it being the new rock and roll, all the young girls wanted to go and see the yeah. the guys i was going to see of the, course the comics yeah. well i was going to see the white male <laughs> well. but that wasn't that wasn't just that but it was many many different i have mean you, have you noticed that change over the years about just general health and safety i suppose or like oh for heaven's sake yes what, what do you mean i mean as i say i don't i don't think we did anything wrong we followed all the regulations and everything but yeah. um i remember Everybody was smoking then. Oh, God, I mean, yeah, you walked into, you had to swim through the smoke. <laughs> I mean, it was. You could hardly you, see anything. You could hardly see anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I don't know how we did that with, and, you know, yeah. you smell of smoke. And, I, know, I, know. I mean, of course, I was smoking as well at the same time. But, but did you, you have know. any um, accidents, formers hurting themselves or yourself? Hurting yourself or anything interesting to tell the listener? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get any kind of stories out of her. About... I do remember Phil K jumping from the balcony onto the stage. Oh my which, God, in Wilkie House. In Wilkie House, which is oh, ridiculous. Did he, did he make it? Yeah, oh, of course. That's insane. I mean, ridiculous, but... And then he would climb back I'm up again. that's... With an audience below yes. him. Yes. Oh my God. And I, actually, <laughs> um, Johnny Vegas doing a doing a, a dive, what do you call it? A, oh, a stage, crowd. Yes, crowd stage surfing. Stage <laughs> I used to have about dive. 20 people on <laughs> to hold him up. <laughs> he just goes flies flat on his tummy and they're. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of our front of house were there to help, help you know. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, he didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was having a great time. Oh, God. He also did this thing where he got them to, I think I've told this story, but he used to get them to throw money at him. He said that he knew in the variety shows that, that the comic would say, come on, mm-hmm. and they would throw coins at him. Yeah. <laughs> he would just keep telling the jokes and everything, and all these coins <laughs> were pinging off his body. <laughs> 
God, and then he collect over the end. Yeah, and he bought all the stuff for drink. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just for him. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he's a good guy. Yeah. Very good guy. Um, um, so I suppose another thing that's changed is that the... But in those days, there was drug laws that nobody listened, listened to. to. Yeah, yeah. So there was an awful lot of that, which I, I didn't actually notice that much because I, I wasn't, I didn't partake yeah, like yeah. many. But I did know there was things going on and like... You know, Sean Hughes sitting with a girl in the back, yeah, uh, having a smoking a joint and all that. And I yeah, just, yeah. Stop, you know, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever get any police coming around and all that? No, yeah. no, I did. Um, your lovely brother, who was who, my son was doing the door once, and uh, this well-known criminal came in that we knew, oh, yeah. actually, yeah. and um, it, Kevin Day told me the story. Because um, he was there, he couldn't believe it. Because all the bouncers came out and said, "Oh my God, he's drunk." He's this guy. So he was a murderer or something, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're just yeah, saying, but, like, uh, yeah. But he was a murderer that was now on parole. He wasn't, you know, he had done his time. I, I mean, a murderer doesn't always be a murderer, or do they? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> anyway, he, <laughs> he, um, but he had taken something mm -hmm. that he was not behaving himself and all the bouncers were frightened of him for some reason yeah, and Christian and wasn't, Christian wasn't. Mm -hmm. and uh, he was the he had gone into the dance hall and he was the dance floor yeah. and he was pushing these girls around and uh -huh. Christian came up to him and put his hand on his shoulder and went and pointed at him and said now you don't know what he said but you know yeah. come on now yeah and in the end the guy, Christian put his arm around him, he had his hand, his, his head, head on his, his shoulder. shoulder, and the guy was crying. <laughs> <laughs> he took him outside and said, on your way. Oh, for <laughs> Only Christian. So, yeah. <laughs> so he was a gentle giant. He never ever punched anyone. Um, so, yeah, another thing that's changed um, a lot is working conditions and uh, how long... Oh, I was going to tell oh, you God. about this time. Carry um, on. Where, uh, because we were in that same situation where it was the university bar staff. Yeah. It wasn't my bar. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously doing very well. Mm -hmm. And um, they had done something wrong, and I'm not very sure what it was, but they were, they had. An artist had done something wrong. Is that what you no, the. Bar staff. The bar staff. There's something to do with the bar staff. Yeah. And they had placards and everything, and they were marching up and down in front of the guild balloon. <laughs> saying, oh, the staff were? They were, like, striking? Uh, yeah. Oh, for God's sake. I don't know if they were striking, but they were just, you know, Making better work conditions or something, you know. Oh, God. And... Uh, but this is the student union. Don French and Lenny Henry yeah. came down, got out the taxi, saw there was something going on, and w went away again. No, oh, I'm not away. going in. Is this down Which, at the Cowgate. Cowgate. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I thought that was your staff, no? No, no. The bar staff was was the university settlement. I don't understand. The university settlement. Oh, I had a bar next door. Which was yours, yeah. Uh huh. But in the universe, in where Leighton Live was, that wasn't my bar. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. I so, thought you did. No, I had no idea. So all yeah. that money that they were taking at Late and Live didn't go to you? No. Just like now. Just like now. <laughs> I got a small percentage, but not, Yeah. you know. I mean, that's why people think, oh, they're making loads of money. But to cook the books back then as well when you're taking cash over the bar. <laughs> well, I don't know, because they... I'm sure they yeah, did they... <laughs> you know. Jesus. Yeah, so... 
Um, so it was really hard when you couldn't get people to pay. Oh, come on, let us in and everything. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I wasn't getting any of the bar. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but the um, bar staff obviously had some beef going on. So oh yeah, loads. I mean, back in the 90s, did everyone just work all the time? Yes. And how did they not, how did they cope with that? I think actually, to be fair, the managers worked all the time. Yeah. And the, and I mean, I, I, I cared about the staff. I didn't want them to, because yeah. um, as a lot of us know, when you're working really hard, you know, you can get stressed and, and you know, it all ends in tears. Burnout, basically. You know, and That's I. What they would call it these days. Is that what they call it? No, right. Well, uh, people, people are experiencing burnout as a, as a aftermath of the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Once Why? Because they were having such a... No, I don't think it's because they were doing nothing. I think it's just stress and it's. I think everyone is just worried about everything all the time. Yeah, so I think that's what happened to me over the years. I initially thought, I'm never going to do this again. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first five years, I thought, oh, can I do another year? Can I? But then it just became second nature and you you get you get hardened to that terrible depression you get in September when yeah. you've got to tidy it. Everybody leaves. You're not the most popular person in the world. And, yeah, yeah. You know. But people. talking about that, the fringe blues in September, do you, you've obviously got to a point where you thought it was worth it to carry on. I actually didn't know what else I could do. So is it like having a baby that you forget about it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Forget the that, that's right, exactly. <laughs> you forget the tiredness. But the it's pain. never overwhelming that it would stop you doing it, I suppose. But, I mean, how did... Well, that's what I mean. I was thinking about not doing it. Yeah. What on earth am I doing? Because, I mean, you've actually mentioned it yourself, that everybody wants something when they, they get in touch with you. You think, oh, they're actually phoning you because they like yeah. you. No. And, um sometimes they are but um there's a lot of the time is oh yeah well could you possibly do this yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody's after themselves you know yeah sometimes yeah. but in terms of working and your team you <clears throat> so i was going to say i was going to, i was going to say that my management team nearly all of them that i had would take the responsibility to work all the there is God sent because mm-hmm. they wanted to do a good good job and they yeah. wanted to make it work. Mm-hmm. So that's how we were. Mm-hmm. But then the 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 younger ones, the ones that were doing front of house, stuff, yeah. they they we would we would give them only eight hours well, or you, work, you know you we might not give them breaks when they should have breaks no, and everything. But <laughs> I think the technicians always, always had a raw deal because they they uh, they had to be at their job. Well, you know? they work the hardest for sure. But they've done a lot over the years to uh, do yeah. more for them and make sure that they're more comfortable and do everything. They but can. now, honestly, everybody, well, in our in the Guild of Balloon, at least, they're all being paid the proper amount and they're... Yeah, all the, shift, the shifts are limited. and Yeah, you know. they're being looked after. And and from that, I mean, we have always tried very hard to make it an enjoyable mm-hmm. family atmosphere that, you know, yeah, we don't get people... I mean, hard, but they play hard. that was the problem with me in the early days was that I was very, not vicious, but very hard. aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of you, I mean, I know that I, you know, we're both that uh, have the opportunity to burn out as well, just as much as the staff do. But during the fringe this year, I just know that 
I feel better being there than I would being able to take time off. Like I just feel like it's it's four really intense weeks, but every single day counts just as much as the next one. And so actually not being there or taking time out, you you can't relax or you can't really take time out because that's all you're. Well, you, if you were taking time out, all you'd be doing is thinking about what's exactly. going on. Exactly. And is that person that you, yeah, that you've given all that responsibility to? Yeah. Are they doing their job? You yeah. Know? yeah. And like, I mean, when you come in and you find people sleeping behind um, the sound desk yeah, or yeah, yeah. or uh, up in the majors that you know they go to bed somewhere, you know. Yeah, I know, but I think that's part of the deal is that they shouldn't be getting to that point. No, that that's how it used to be. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I mean we're we're doing everything to make it. But as you say, I want we're making it as an enjoyable experience for everyone as as possible. It's a limited period of time, and we want people to work hard, but we also want people to enjoy it. So yeah, and I'm I'm excited about this year because we're going to try and be a little different. Mm-hmm. In that we're we're trying to um, get rid of paper. Well, yeah, we're trying to. Yeah, different is your word for sustainable. Sustainable, isn't it? <laughs> we're trying to be a bit more sustainable. Yes. That, I mean that that word can probably be used for in terms of our uh, team, making them as sustainable as possible, but also in terms of our output and our impact is being as sustainable as possible. Well, I was going to say what I was going to say about us oh, before, selling on the streets. Yeah, and... but before we talk about that, just I, I'm also excited about this year because we've just nailed down our management team and I think they're all excellent. Yes, like, in that's terms of taken a while, are, isn't it? Yeah, it's been a difficult year to recruit, but I think the people that we do have are all excellent and I'm excited to work with them. I think they're all, they all are passionate and care and get what we're trying to do. So I think they're invested in what we're trying to do, which is what we want. Yeah, I think um, we're going to um, work closely with them to see that they don't Mm. burn out. Or I think it might be, um, well, who knows? They've all worked in the industry, so uh, maybe they won't be taken aback by how busy it can be. Yeah, but we made a conscious effort this year to put on a... manageable amount of shows manageable amount of shows in venues that we've done before so i think in terms of stretching our capabilities and our resources uh we've been sensible about it so i think we just need to focus on delivering that program of shows in the venues that we have really well and making sure that artists audience and staff all boss it and have a great time yeah which i think they will yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've still got the worry about will people come, you know? And yeah, it's... I mean, that's the biggest worry at the moment, but mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> but what you were saying was we are, have made lots of changes in terms of our carbon footprint and our impact, and we're doing things a bit differently this year. And we've become, you know, the pan- pandemic has forced a lot of people to become more digital. Uh, and so we are going to try and uh, reduce the amount of paper that we're printing and uh, across everything that we do. And yeah, we're trying to sell tickets a bit differently. So we're going to have, I was going to say girls, people. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, they're not promotion girls. (laughs) Out selling shows um, with uh, 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 um, (laughs) a, what is it called, Katie? A pad. 
tablet, iPad, no, iPad, tablet. Yeah, it's uh, not an iPad. It looks like an iPad. We can't afford iPads. <laughs> no, we can't afford iPads, but it's the same as an iPad, isn't it? Yeah, it's called a tablet. Called a tablet. And has it only got ticketing stuff on it? Yeah, why? What else do you Well, want? they wouldn't be standing there watching films. <laughs> yeah, or like, and their headphones. Yeah. And, uh, no, just uh, the rating system, yeah. Uh-huh. So there'll be a bit... Yeah, but the hope is that we'll have people being able to sell tickets a bit more... Uh, Efficiently? Well, being more mobile, mobile mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, yeah, and... Hopefully, being you know going up to people in the bars and being able to sell tickets there rather than waiting for people to come to us. So it's a big old experiment now. So <laughs> we'll see if it works, but I'm hopeful that it will do. But they're uh, they're also the French French society are trying to go paperless, which I'm not sure if they're paperless or we're paperless. Well, the fringe, the overall fringe has never been. It's always been paper tickets. That's right. It? That's right. Uh, and it's always been paper tickets, even up until 2019, because of the scale of the festival. Like yes, the scale so has huge. always been so huge. So uh, transferring to e-ticketing, you know, getting emailed your ticket is a pretty big deal for the fringe because, you know, how many tickets do we sell? We sell like 400,000 tickets. So the overall fringe sells, God, oh, I've no idea what the number is, an insane amount of tickets. So... It's all very reliant on Wi-Fi and 4G and data and all of those things that none of us understand. Not even 5G. Maybe 5G. I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are doing everything that we can to install equipment, but it's a bit scary investing all of, all of that this year when we're definitely in a year of recovery and just trying to have shows and do as well as we can. So, yeah, we're definitely investing in it, but it's, yeah, scary, and we'll see how it goes. But I'm feeling good that it's going to be worth it and mm-hmm. yeah I think it'll be fine well but I think this way it'll good... be the best August we've had in two and a half years exactly <laughs> we can't, <laughs> can't years. deny that yeah. but I think with the the tablets kind of come into play because what used to happen at the fringe is the flyering teams so it's always kind of been built on flyering and performers going out and giving flyers away so the whole culture of that needs to shift this year where people are just taking photos of flyers or get the scanning QR codes. QR codes. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> I knew the QR codes. She knows about QR codes. Um, That's because of going into bars. And just, it's going to be a big old shift to changing people's behaviour. But I think after two years of not doing nearly as much, um, it's the time to do it. So when else are you going to change people's behaviour than this year? So yeah, I think it's a massive opportunity and we're doing... We're taking. We are relying a lot on technology, though. I know, I know. That and I mean these scanner things. What if they don't work? My worry. <laughs> That's why I can't sleep at night, Mum. So yeah, I'm worried about that. But it's exciting. And what other things have changed? Then I think uh, we've talked about inclusion, diversity, and I think there's way more to do on that front. But the comedy industry as well has seems to have changed in the fringe in terms of how late people can stay up well that's your that's your say so if i was your age i would stay up late well i i can stay up late but honestly i'm trying to book headliners for late and live at the moment and nobody wants to do them because it's so late and that's us bringing the show on so early right up through the 90s and noughties in fact For nearly 30 years, it was a a 1am to 5am job and everybody loved it. Mm -hmm. But Katie, in her wisdom, (gasps) 
is bringing it back to 11.30 to 1.30, which I think is sad. Well, well I understand why you're doing it. Let's have this chat after the fringe, shall we? The okay. hope is that it will increase audience numbers, increase audience attention span, because they, a lot of them are falling asleep when it was on uh, after one, and attract more uh, better names to the gig so that we can book better names. But... It's an experiment. Another experiment. So we'll see how it goes. Yes, but you're just saying you can't get uh, headliners uh, at one o'clock in the morning. I'm struggling. Well, I think you've got Rich Hall, actually. I do have Rich Hall, yes. Yes. And we will have more uh, of his calibre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll help you with the headliners. Yeah. Um, no, oh, she ignored that one. You can help me with the head. I've already asked you to help me with the headliners. Oh, has she? Um... I guess I don't want to end this podcast on our. Down. Well, we're not we're not there yet. No, I'm not ending it. I'm saying let's just talk briefly about how the fringe has changed for the worse. What is bad about the changes that have happened at the fringe? You know, we've talked a lot about the commercialization of the fringe, and I know you have lots of opinion on, opinions on that. And that kind of commercialization has meant that it's become inafford unaffordable 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 for many artists to come up and. That is part of the kind of city taking advantage of the festival or it kind of becoming oversaturated. Well, believe me, in the 90s, in the 90s, everyone said the fringe was too big Mm -hmm. and that the landlords and everybody was making money. So it's gone from that, which was a manageable amount. And when was that? The late 90s? Well, the mid to late 90s, they were all saying it was too big. Mm -hmm. And it was big, but it it was half the size it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If not less, probably. Yeah, and did it? Was it all over the city? What was it like spread? Because that's another thing that people say. That it's no, it wasn't events. all over the city. It was in the old town mainly. Was it? Yeah, so it's yeah. always been. Yeah, I mean, apart from assembly. Yeah, on George Street. In George, on George Street. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stand. They didn't. They actually started near the Grass Market, actually. Yeah. So yeah. and then they moved to um, Queen York. Street. York Place, yeah. So that was in the 90s. I mean, Addison Cresswell of Off the Curb, he started a stand-up comedy club. Mm. Uh, Did he? Yeah, in the late 80s. No, no. In um, Do you know where that pub is on the corner of Broughton Street and the street, it's called? Yeah, yeah. In there. It's a great um, location and space. It was a really good little club. Yeah. Downstairs was a club. Yeah. Upstairs was a club. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that... I don't know how many years he did that. Mm-hmm. But he only did that during the Fringe. Yeah. And it was only... just a bar year-round or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you had a birthday party there. I did there. I had a Grease-themed birthday Greece. party there. Yeah, you did. You remember. <laughs> yeah, of course I How did. old were you then? Oh, Grease, I suppose. You must have been about eight. Were you? Yeah, my... I was quite tall. Because we did take you to, to see Grease. Did you? We. I did. You did. And your friends to Grease the Musical, which was on the Playhouse, and then we went to that bar. And you had a... I had a DJ and everything. uh Sally Finlay. Sally Finlay was your DJ. Spoiled brat. (laughs) Um, Sally Finlay isn't a spoiled brat, by the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I guess... Yeah, so it was too big then. What about now? But what... 
happened was more and more people had experienced the fringe and wanted to open venues mm-hmm. and more and more venues opened. Yeah. And that not necessarily just venues though, it's also artists saw the opportunity and the, you know, they could make some money up here. And they whether it was finding a pub in a, you know, a back room of a pub or whatever, uh, and also larger venues opening up, it was a lot of different people coming up here and you know, landlords taking advantage of putting rent up uh, for, you know, there was a lot of stakeholders that were involved. That yeah, but that grew out of the 90s. The yeah. that, I mean, that all grew... I'm, all I'm saying is that it's, our venues get the raw end of the stick in terms of it's all, all their fault, the commercialisation, but actually a lot of stakeholders that, that take part in the fringe saw opportunity and wanted a bit of the action. A lot of it, though... Um, in the political side of it was mm. uh, theatre people would say, well, comedy's taking the... Taking over. Yeah, and comedy's become too big. So that that is why... Um, but do you think that put theatre people off? It's not It's not that they put theatre people off. It's the fact that, that comedy took over mm. was, was where the majority of audiences were going to. Mm-hmm. So it overtook theatre. Changed, changed. Yeah. I mean, theatre and music, I mean, music, they've tried to do a bit of a music I festival. Know, I think that's during, such a shame that there's never a music programme, more of a music programme that mm-hmm. takes part of the Fringe. But I guess the reason why stand-up started growing is because it's cheap to go on. That's right. An acoustic music centre used to do music and still does. Yeah, they do. But again, that has been taken over by comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think also the Free Fringe coming along, I mean, they were trying to do this attack on, you know, like when when the Fringe first started, that was attack on the on the international festival. Well, the Fringe oh, yeah, had become so big. So the, the Free Fringe was a rebellion against... Yeah, I think they would probably say that they were trying to find an affordable way to, for people to come to the Fringe, is what their argument would be to that. Mm-hmm. But... That, but they are focused on comedy because it's you can put it on in spaces that you could never do theatre and stuff. And I think that's and which you know yeah I I I'm sure they do try and do some theatre in there, but well it, they yeah they're not allowed to. They shouldn't unless they have licences. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we won't talk about that right now. But there are there are venues that have become too big and too commercial, and other venues who have tried to keep up with that. Mm-hmm. And that do you not feel like you're one of them? Well, I've tried to keep up. But why? Because I felt I had to. <laughs> and I know you don't agree with that. And I don't I've, I've kept... not agree. I'm just I'm asking you to think about that for a minute. Why well, I, I certainly um, wanted to... Is it to keep your reputation? Yes, I ran the business as a professional business and I curated as such. Mm-hmm. So it was about uh, putting on the best kind of entertainment I could. Mm-hmm. And I was the one that was focused most on comedy right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, was, I wasn't I was theatre, but then I did get into um, presenting theatre, which I absolutely loved doing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to take away a lot of the snobbishness in theatre, and, and yeah. I mean, you're not interested in that. No, I like but the fact that's... that you want bums on seats. That's what you do it for, mm. you know. Well, you want people to see it, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's something that I don't um, have as much experience of at the moment. Is putting on theatre, and I've loved 
the theatre, but I guess we we are good at putting on fringe theatre, which is mm-hmm. slightly different from mm-hmm. you know touring theatre or whatever. So, yeah, um, and I think that complements the comedy that we put on and various other shows that we put on. But how do you? I mean, I feel like that constant growth and commercialization it has to change. Well, I think the pandemic, it's helped it change. Yeah. And that's why it's going to be interesting to see because it appears to me that we are the only venue that are doing longer between shows and, and yeah. bringing our programme down to a, a reasonable... Yeah, I just don't... You I, know, just, I think we're the only ones yeah, that just, are doing that. I know, but I think you... I don't really understand why you think that's a bad thing. Because I, just, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I I, I, I'm just, just scared financially that's all yeah i know but because we are trying we are in recovery and we have to do well yeah i completely agree but i think quantity no the other way around quality over quantity yeah i agree with you doing the program and keeping i mean that's what my biggest stress at the moment has been is trying to keep the program within workable hours because the staff wages have just gone crazy yeah and with good reason and trying to balance that with you know shift patterns and all of that to make it as streamlined as possible that's what we need to focus on especially if we're going to recover and so my view is that i mean just in general i think any thoughts of something growing constantly is a bad for the world and the earth and everything <laughs> like there has to be a point where but it's also it, grown it, enough now well yeah it needs to stabilize and sustain itself and it will grow you know, it could go up and down or whatever, but it, we can't just constantly be looking for growth because I think that's what has led us to, uh, you know, led us to disasters in the past. Mm-hmm. So I want to find a model that has the number of shows that will mean that we'll cover our face and be able to carry on doing it going forward. Um, cover our face? Wash our face. <laughs> cover it, cover it, cover somebody's face. Yeah, find that keep kind us of ba- going. Yeah, it's a balance of yeah being able to mean that we can keep doing it every year because you know the past four years or the five years since I started up until twenty nineteen, we're been in difficult position, been continually been in difficult position. So we need to yeah look at it as a fresh start, fresh start, and find a sustainable model. But I'm not interested in trying to keep up. I just want to do what we do and do it really well. Mm-hmm. But we have been, um, we've never ever employed volunteers or that. that. <laughs> do you think I can bring that up now? What? How, do you know something? <laughs> you just laugh at me. Well. But we, but that's why it's got more and more expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we're doing it in the proper way. And well, we've always paid minimum wage, basically. And obviously this year has seen minimum wage go up. Yeah. Our national living wage has gone up by 6%, which is the most it's gone up in years. So, yeah, it's been really difficult to balance the budget. So year. we have to have enough shows to cover. Yes, enough these quality things. shows. Yes, dear. That's, that sell over their minimum. Of course. That is the point. And in order to sell those shows, we need audience. So everyone needs to come and enjoy Edinburgh this summer. I think the programme generally, like the shows that are on sale at the moment are incredible so there's so much for people to see and so much amazing shows for people to see so i think it would be stupid not to be here absolutely don't go to spain no come to edinburgh come. and come on a monday tuesday or wednesday don't come at the weekend because the weekends <laughs> are crazy the artists need support on the weekdays yeah okay <laughs> well, 
Don't you agree? <laughs> I agree, yeah. Just um, just come. So how do we end this podcast about how the fringe has changed over the years? Well, I was going to tell you about Steve Coogan. Oh, God. When he won the Perrier, his... Mm-hmm. His most fond memory was uh, his dressing room was in the beer cellar. Really? <laughs> he, he used to get changed behind the kegs. Oh my god! And people would come in and change the no, change the kegs, kegs while he's half naked. Very good. Very good. <laughs> he has a very fond memory of these days. Yeah, really. When was the last time you heard that? Did he bring it up to you? Yeah. Oh, really? Told me. Very nice. Um. So yeah, it's changed a lot for the better. Yeah, but these these things like Steve Coogan standing behind beer barrels is not going to come along again. No. Well, you never know. I mean, I think we're we're it's a thirty five years of so you think you're funny this year. Yeah. So you think you're funny is me looking for new comedians back in the eighties. Started in eighty eight. Yeah. I st- oh gosh, that means I'm gonna be thirty five in January. There you go. There you go. That's a good. That's that is the best time of your life. Thirty-five. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's when you're. Um, I hope so. It is. It's. It's the. What do you call it? What is the word, Katie? You're in your prime. You're in, your prime. You're in absolute prime. Well, that's I'm the best forward. time of your life. So I'm looking forward to this year. I think it's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. The festival that is, not the birthday. <laughs> <laughs> the birthday will be great too. Yeah, I think. A lot has changed, but a lot of change stuff has a lot of good stuff has changed, um, and the bad stuff we just think, need to keep working on. I think what it was like when I was younger, when I started it, it was if you want something done, do it yourself, and that is not the case anymore. We have great teams. I, don't know, I feel like that sometimes, but yeah, we do have great <laughs> so, teams. So that is both of us are the same that yeah. way. Um, no, we've got great teams that you know know what we want out of it. Yeah, I think uh, we've got better at communicating what we want and how to, how we do business, I suppose, which mm-hmm. is important. And I think we're we're well positioned, despite all of the difficulties that we're still having. We're we are in a good place uh, to present shows and look after shows and have a really great fringe this year. Mm-hmm. Just have to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll find all the new comics with So You Think You're Funny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to We're going to do an exhibition yeah. of um I some need of to the... tell Steve Allathorn about that. I'll just pop that on the list. <laughs> um we're gonna do a photo exhibition about So You Think You're Funny of all the incredible people that have come through it and perhaps present uh, just have on display some of their applications that we don't know that we still have <laughs> so that's, that we'll see how that goes down yes well what are you looking to end this episode Karen um I'm just glad we're still here Katie. what are you looking I was gonna say what are you looking forward to for the future of the fringe but it's a very large question that is a large question I'm looking forward to booking next year <laughs> Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad that you still feel uh, you still care about it the way that you always have done. Of course, I do. What about you? I am looking forward to my wedding in September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Married. No, I'm looking forward to this fridge and seeing everyone. See, like, I'm hoping that there will be much more people in town and people from the industry that we haven't seen forever. And yeah. Everyone celebrating what a fabulous festival it is. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it. And yeah, figuring out how to continue to do this going forward. That's the plan. Thank God for you, Katie. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> All right, good one. Well done. Right. We're back. We are back. <laughs> Thanks. Goodbye. Look out for the explosions. Explosions? You know. Like- <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>
God. Well, you know, I on the logo behind the logo. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> what, what an ending. <laughs> Jesus. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. My mama said. Mama said. Mama said.